Whether you have kids or you are a kid yourself, today's episode will really be helpful. Today, we're going to talk about emotional intelligence and the importance in our life, not only in our early life, but also in our adult life. Welcome to The Embarrassing Diary. I'm so excited to be here, definitely back from the dead, as I have been suffering from a very intense stomach flu the last week. So I'm really excited that I'm back here on board with you guys. I think it's really important to give a huge shout out to some of our biggest supporters who really send their message that they still like, they still listen to this podcast. So I want to give a huge shout out to Sophie, Aliki, Dimitra, Sarah, and Rob. Thank you guys. You guys have been awesome. In today's episode, we are having a very important conversation about emotional intelligence and we're deep diving in some important questions like how to handle an epic tantrum and how much is enough screen time for your baby. Now, for today's episode, I have the pleasure to have an amazing speaker. I know that I say that a lot for a lot of my guest speakers, but what can I do? A lot of those people are amazing. And this one is not an exception. In today's episode, I have a parental coach, a loss and trauma informed coach, an infertility coach, a mentor, consultant and entrepreneur, an international and TEDx speaker, and an author and co-author of three books. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you will really indulge in today's conversation and you will get something from my amazing guest today, Yarona Poster. Hello, Yarona. It's so good to have you here. Hello, Zoe. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. So let's begin a little bit with uh, the definition of emotional intelligence. So what would you say it is emotional intelligence and what are some signs that parents can look into so that they can discover that aspect? So let me break down emotional intelligence a little bit. It is not something that's inherited. It's actually a learned trait. When a child is really young, birth mm -hmm. to three, that's when they're developing their social, their social emotional development is actually a key domain in early childhood development. If you're emotionally intelligent, it tends to mean that you can identify your own emotions. You can not just identify them, but you can give them space to, to function. Grow, yeah in the mm -hmm. space and that you can process them. So the biggest part mm. of that is the processing because if you can identify your emotions and you give them free reign and free space, but you don't actually process them, rather you splatter your mm. emotions everywhere, that's not very emotionally intelligent because the idea is to be able to actually process the emotions. Now, mm. the social side of that is navigating that within a social structure. If you live out in a forest way out all alone, there's no society around you, then you don't need to worry about the social side of it. But that's not the way most people live. Most people live in some kind of society. And as such, you're going to come up against other people's emotional needs. And that means you have to be able to also identify their emotional needs and their emotions and what they're processing and navigate that successfully. That's what emotional intelligence mm. is all about. 
But I want people to understand there's the social component to it. Because in this day and age, we've disconnected a lot socially. And I know people are like, what are you talking about? Look at how connected, I mean, you and I are connecting across the seas. But there's a distinction because social media brings a, a surface level fallacy to social connection. Whereas when you're navigating one-on-one -on -one social interactions, like you and I are currently doing, there's a distinction because I have to be aware of and open to the emotional responses you have. And you have to be aware of and open to the emotional responses that I have. And that takes effort because yeah. it also takes nuance and context to be able to say, you, I see that you're feeling this way. And I don't see that happening and not just seeing it, but I also empathize with it. And I, and I understand that this thing is making you feel this way. And in this day and age, I don't see that happen very often. With social media and with social justice warriors and people who consider themselves, you know, trying to advocate for others, they usually do it to a point that there's, it's so extreme that they're not willing to understand there are more nuances behind the scenes and that there's a lot more going on than they see. It's sort of like if a lawyer takes on a client, they're dedicated to their client's well-being, even if that client has potentially done something wrong. I, you yeah. as a person need to understand that you cannot be everybody's lawyer. You know, you need to yeah. understand that there is a lot more. And if you're not willing to look at all sides of the situation, then maybe you'd be better off stepping, taking a step back from the circumstances. It, it's so, ain't so many yeah, questions. Yeah. I don't even know how much time we have, but what you're saying is fundamental, not only raising emotional intelligence, children but even in our connection communication with other people i feel like a lot of people even from my family they don't have that aspect of i'm understanding you and i'm compassionate like you're talking so beautifully about the especially the compassion part so what happens if a parent um doesn't have those com he doesn't have yeah those components how can he raise an emotional intelligent child well can he? That's a, That's a really good question. It really depends on the child. So one of the things that we have to understand is children are not blank slates. They're not. They mm -hmm. are actually already born. We now have the science to back this up that human beings are born with about 40 to 60% of their personality traits, their behaviors, and even their mental health, certain mental health components already predetermined. 40 to 60 Oh, wow. Yeah. So what happens for parents is we're always working in a slight deficit because we're always working at a place where it's like, I'm learning who my child is. Mm. And then I have to learn what that means when my child is interacting emotionally and when my child is interacting socially in the world and help them find their own tools to process their emotions the best way, the most optimal way for them. So I'll take my son, for example. He is a natural born perfectionist. I feel really bad for him because that was me when I was a kid. 
And there's one <laughs> moment of me in that. There's still, I d- definitely, that's me. There's um, this need to do things really well, not because you want other people to approve of you, but just this inherent need that I need to be able to do this competently. And so when, when he can't, there's this feeling, it, it really is destructive in the self-esteem. So what's really hard is that he beats himself up more than anything else when he can't do something well. So I have learned that about him, which means that there are going to be certain tools that work for him and certain tools that don't. For instance, if I tell him just to keep trying, keep trying, that doesn't always work for him because it just rises his, his frustration level. What works more is the empathy side. Like, I see how frustrated you are with this. And I've been there, but, you know, and tell him the story about mm-hmm. once when I was there, when I, when I experienced that. He works really well with the tool of empathy and having somebody else acknowledge that he's not alone in that frustration that he, that I, that we've experienced it too, because then he can identify mm-hmm. that he is not isolated in that feeling of frustration. For perfectionists, it's, it's helpful to have an outside anchor with that. So yeah. whereas there are other kids who are, will just keep trying and trying and they don't get frustrated and they're like, I'll just try it a different way and a different way and stuff like that. And they, they have a low level of like, you know, this, I'd rather explore this with curiosity and not be perfect at it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there are certain things that he's perfectly fine exploring, exploring. But I have noticed that his frustration levels are finally starting to decrease a bit with that empathetic response. So that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. So when you notice a tool is working, keep working with it. Now, that said, it's Mm -hmm. not going to work forever. Because we grow, we change. So, you know. So to go back to your question, how can a parent who's not geared to understanding that be able to work with their child? Well. They have to be willing to be open. And if they're not, then that's where the child is going to have to navigate that problem, unfortunately. Mm. One of the great things is you don't have to have every single caregiver in that person's life use the right tools in order for that child to learn the right tools. You just have to have one person who's willing to try. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Because I always think, for instance, my grandma. Mm -hmm. Uh, not my parent, my gr- and that is already enough. Indeed, you're right. You're right to to make a change, to do that, to trigger that that good feeling, that that, that self esteem, etc. Yeah. But I think I have also a very difficult okay. question when it comes to tantrums. Uh. <laughs> uh, as a parent, I'm scared of tantrums. I am terrified by them. Uh, my husband is okay with them, but I know a lot of people are really, really scared of them. So how? Anything, anything well, you can give us right now. I'm going to write it in my notebook. My biggest question for you <laughs> is investigate why you're yeah. afraid of the tantrums. I would ask first, what yeah. is it about tantrums that makes you afraid of them? Ask yourself that question. Yeah. Yeah, it's- um, are you willing to, to tell the audience why you're afraid of tantrums? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think at that moment, I need to be the big, big, the big girl, the big regulator. And at that moment, I feel, which is not true, by the way, that, that my child is punishing me, which, of course, it's not true. But it's a little bit, I think that I need to work on myself on 
not taking it personally understand, and understand that this scream, this this loud noise is not a punishment. It's just his, his way to express it. But for me at that moment, it's like, there's a bear in the room and we need to do something instantly. <laughs> That's how I express it. <laughs> so it is really important for you to emotionally regulate yourself first before you step into the situation with your mm, child. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of mechanisms to do that. So it's really good to say, okay, there's no bear in the room. Everything will be okay. This will pass. Okay, there's no bear in the room. And you have to keep saying that to yourself. Either you can build a, a mantra, you can use a specific like, um, you know, mindset shift, you can use um, mindfulness techniques, you can use breathing techniques. There are a whole host of different things that might work for you. But experiment with finding what works for you when you're not stressed. This is the most important thing to do. Really critical that you practice with that tool when you are not in tantrum mode with your child. Mm. You cannot use, imagine if a surgeon was only able to practice surgery on an actual person <laughs> during a surgery, real surgery. That's not effective, right? There's a reason why we practice things. In, in you know, if, a, if somebody who plays the piano only gets the opportunity to play a piano when they're doing a recital, they're not, the stress of that's going to be too much and they're going to falter and fail. So practice anything that you need to practice outside of that environment. But mm-hmm. I love mindfulness techniques because you can, because it, off, it, it requires you to sit there and say, okay, imagine your child is having a tantrum in front of you. I mean, really imagine it. Get really descriptive. They're on the floor. They're kicking their feet. They're banging their head. They're smashing their hands. You can even get really descriptive. What are they wearing? Where are you? What environment are you in? Give yourself as much tangible qualities of the environment to put yourself in it. Now, while you're not actually in it, start to work on using those tools. What do I need to tell Hmm. myself? What do I need to tell myself? Okay, for me, I need to take 10 deep breaths, counting down from 10. One, two, you know. For some people, they might need tactile responses, so they might need to rub something in their hand, actually feeling it. So you need to learn what works for you first. Once you've been practicing with that, then you can actually use the tools for the tantrum itself for your child. But I'm going to tell you something, and this is really interesting. Once you use your own tools, often that actually helps regulate your child. The Mm -hmm. emotional contagion is actually what happens when mirror neurons disperse across the brain. And that is where the neurons are actually firing and mirroring the other person's emotions back and forth. They actually hit upon one another. It's kind of like um, there's a saying called, you know, when you catch feelings, and I don't mean catch feelings about somebody else, but rather when when you catch on to someone else's feelings. Like you're in the grocery Mm -hmm. store and you're on a long line and the person in front of you is getting frustrated because of the long line. And you were standing there and you were fine, patiently waiting. But now that person's grumbling. And suddenly they're like turning to you and they're like, oh my God, this is taking forever. And so you find yourself getting more stressed, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, can you believe this? This is ridiculous. Why is this person? And all of a sudden you're feeling that feeling of like, oh, yeah, they're right. 
So that's actually what we call the emotional contagion. What's really interesting is that there's a social influence factor to it. So the way that that works, it also works in the reverse, meaning that if you're calming yourself down, child is mm -hmm. feeling you calming down. And more often Absolutely. than not, when they're having a tantrum in your home, the best thing you can do is sit patiently and wait it out. That's the best thing you can do. That's one of the, when they're really little, that's the best tool you can use because you're not reacting in similar distress. You're not yelling at them. You're not pleading with them. You're not acting, bouncing off of their distress. You're just simply calmly waiting it out. Now, if that happens in public, that's a little bit harder, right? Now Definitely. you're feeling the stress of other people, but I'm going to tell you how you respond to your child matters 10,000 times more than what other people think of you in that moment. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're in the airplane, for instance, and you're freaking out what other people will yep. say. It's, it's really, really important yeah. what you're saying. I, I agree 100% with you. Yeah. Thank you for that. So here's the other thing, though. The next thing that you can do. Once they've come to a point where they can hear you again, because when children go into tantrum mode, they're kind of like in emergency, emergency shutdown mode. They can't hear or process anything you're saying. So you pleading with them, um, you know, screaming at them, bargaining with them, none of that's going to work in the heightened, in the most heightened moment of distress. Once they click back into hearing, they're going to hear the first thing that comes out of your mouth. If the first thing that comes out of your mouth is yelling, they're going to hear that. They're going to be like, so you're, what you're saying is I'm not allowed to express this emotion. If the first thing you, they hear is you pleading with them, they're going to hear, oh, this is, uh, you know, I might be able to get my way. Not maliciously, but that bargaining thing that comes in with pleading oftentimes, like, okay, okay, calm down. I'll, I'll give you what you want. Now they understand that every time they get emotionally distressed, you give them exactly what they want. And they will keep yeah. doing that. So the idea mm. is the best thing you can do is respond empathetically. Wow. After, after, yeah, they're after, cold, they're after they've gotten yeah. that first height, and they might still be... <laughs> You know, but now they're listening to you. And the first thing you can do is say, look at me. Because eye contact, so vital. It's so vital. I can't even begin. You got to get down on their level and say, look at me. Look at me. And you present your calm and you say, I see how upset you are. I see that you're really hurting because of this X, Y, Z. I see that. Can you tell me more about it? If they're old enough, they'll start to tell you, well, this is why I'm upset, you know, and they'll, they'll start to tell you that. And there's, I see, I understand that. I get that. This is not about giving into their want. This is about empathizing with their feelings. You're not giving in. Mm -hmm. You're empathizing, okay? Very distinct difference. You're still not going to give them what they yeah. want, but you are going to empathize with them. You are going to say to them, someone understands how you're feeling in this moment. You are not alone in this feeling. And that bridge, that connecting bridge is so vital for little ones. 
Um, and even honestly, it's vital for any human. That's one of the core human needs, connection. So once yeah. we give that to yeah. our kids, they can come back to themselves. They can start to emotionally regulate themselves because they have that sort of that line that they can start to pull on and go, okay, okay, I can come back to the world with reason, you know? And then you have that conversation about, okay, so we're, you still can't have this thing. However, let's talk about what you can have, da, 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 da. you know, let's talk about what we can do. One of the best examples of this was my son. When we would go, when COVID hit, we had nowhere to go. We couldn't go anywhere with him. We couldn't do anything. The only place we could go was food shopping. Now he was two and a half at the time that COVID hit. So we're like, okay, first we need to make sure he'll wear his mask. He did. It was wonderful. The only thing in the food, in the supermarket, they had this one line, this one aisle that did have some toys in it. Well, since we couldn't go toy shopping or couldn't do like outings out to the parks and, you know, like at first we weren't doing anything anywhere, like food shopping was the only thing. So my husband would wander down the, the aisle with him and he started buying little cars and then he started buying more things. And then my son got used to the idea that food shopping was an opportunity for him to go to boy. And my husband at first was like, oh, what's the big deal? It's just a dollar. And I'm like, you know what? Because this adds up. At first it was innocent. Now what we're saying to him is it's, it's become a bribe, you know? Get through the food shopping with us and you can have a reward. But rewards and punishments are a terrible thing. You want him to be able, you want your child to be able to have an experience for something just for the sake of having that experience. And prior to COVID, he was great. We, when we would go food shopping, he had his little wagon. He would help us picking things out. He, he was fully invested in the shopping experience, you know. Um, but that became a problem. And I said to my husband, this is a problem. He now anticipates and expects that he's going to get something every time we go food shopping. And now he's hmm. decided he will not behave until he gets his thing. So we need to change this. So one day I was with him on, on my own food shopping and he threw himself down on the floor because I told him we're not here to buy something for you. We're here to get what we need for all of us to have food. And yeah. And and I was trying to explain the difference between a need versus a want and all that sort of stuff. Okay, he was all <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> um, there are ways to do it with little ones. There are, but it still it requires time, um, and certainly not when they're in a heightened state of distress. So he throws himself on the floor, and I'm like, all right, all right, what am I going to do? So I stepped into it with empathy, and I made sure that he was, you know, okay. And then he finally got up, and I said, look. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a thing called window shopping. We can walk down that aisle and you can look at all the things that you like and you can pick something up and we'll take that you really like and we'll take a picture of it and we'll put it on a list so that when it is time to get you a, a toy, we'll look at that list and we'll see, you know, we'll look at all the pictures and we'll see which of those things you want. And that changed the way we we shop. So now we window shop. So it's not always a Wow. And I will tell you that that's the thing. It changes the energy of what you're doing. But you have to be willing to step into it without worry about what other people are thinking of you. And that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. But it, it, speaking of rewards, uh, this also uh, makes me think about also screen yeah. time. Many times um, 
I have done it. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting it. Uh, I've said, okay, it's Friday because he's off on Fridays. I'm off on Friday. So I'm like, you can have a little bit of screen time. And then as a result, in the weekend, he will want it more and more and more and more and more. And how much, first of all, is, is screen time okay? How much is it allowed? How, how to handle these aspects? So that's that? a really good question. Um, <clears throat> at, at different ages, there are different stages of different, you know, according to the American Association of Pediatrics and all of the, the World Health Organizations, all of the, you know, little, little ones are, should not be having screen time. But what kind of mm -hmm. screen time are we talking about? Because there's a distinction between watching TV as a social activity with your family and actually engaging mm -hmm. with your child with that thing versus having a personal handheld device. So that's the mm -hmm. first question to ask yourself. If it's a personal handheld device, there's a difference. The reason why is because we have now enough scientific research to also show that the having a, a, a young child have access to a personal handheld device is hits the same receptors in the brain as drugs and alcohol. Oh my God. So if you're unwilling to give your, your little one drugs and alcohol, you know, if you're unwilling to say, oh, Friday, here, here's the alcohol cabinet. Let's oh, go, go for it. Go for it. Have some vodka. It's all good. You know, it's Friday. Oh, relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, but it's true. It literally functions the same way in the brain process wow. as drugs and alcohol because they're having an immediate dopamine hit when they have a device in front of mm. them. It's an immediacy of dopamine. Boom, boom, boom. But what if you watch together? So sometimes we, we say for half an hour, we'll hug, we'll be on the couch all together and we'll okay. watch something. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Because you're also showing them that it's a social activity. And um, one of the things that's really important is also having little moments of com commentary with that, you know, engaging, saying, oh, did you see that? Oh, what color was that? Oh, that's my favorite color. Little commentary. That allows them to understand that this is an opportunity for you. And one more thing for you guys to do as an activity together, as opposed to an opportunity to disengage from everyone. Now, now we all need mm -hmm. quiet moments of disengagement. That's true. You can't be connected 24-7. That's just impossible. But the better ones of those moments are to, for them to be playing with toys by themselves. Now, I am guilty of the fact that my son has definitely been playing uh, or watching more on his own of late while I'm working. And we've had snowstorms and all sorts of things. So I'm definitely guilty of allowing yeah. him a lot more time to do that. Uh, he also likes Minecraft. My husband got him into Minecraft and he really, he's obsessed with Minecraft. First, it was just watching some stuff about Minecraft together. And now he actually knows how to play. Now, occasionally he does play on his own, but he really enjoys the engagement with us because everything we've done with him till now has been any screen time he has, has been an engagement with us. So now he, now he yeah. at six, he's getting little opportunities of time to do on his own. But here's the thing. You have to set up a plan before they get engaged in it. Because of the, the dopamine hit, they're not going to listen during the time that they're on it. So you have to, again, make eye contact, say, all right, what's our plan? Okay, you can have 20 minutes on your own to play this game. 
where you can have 30 minutes on your own to watch some TV. I'm going to set a timer that t- when that timer goes off, you know, or, or how about you set the timer when they're old enough, then you can start having them set the timer. When they actually can do it for themselves, the autonomy of that actually makes them more inclined to listen because they gave themselves the limitation as opposed to you giving mm. them the limitation, right? So instead of it being an authority figure giving them the limitation, they set that upon themselves. It's actually teaching them self-discipline. It's teaching them internalized discipline. Wow. So, okay, I'm going to set the timer for myself. When the timer goes off, I'm going to turn this off and I'm going to go do something else. And that really yeah. helps them set the stage for building their own competency, building their, their autonomy, and ensuring that they continuously stay connected to other people as opposed to get so absorbed into something that has that immediacy of the dopamine hits. Nice, nice. So we can incorporate it in small dosages, but when we explain to them, like you said, eye contact, giving them the opportunity also to do some things, parts of it themselves, to control it, that, and then they can get, come back to us and even we can engage all together exactly. socially. Very, very insightful. Exactly. And are there some other activities we can engage that we can help our children, um, you know, get more emotional? Yeah, I mean, so many. Okay, so from, from birth, one of the things I like to try to explain to people, I understand that in the world we currently live in, our phones are practically adhered to our hands. And that we like to take pictures of everything and take video of everything. I get that. I get that. And that there are a lot of parents these days who are now having little ones and they want to record everything. The problem with that is the disconnection you're creating, the divide you're creating. Because a device, having watching your child through a device is never going to be the same thing. It's never going to provide the same emotional engagement and social engagement that they need as being present in the moment with them. So one of the things I try to explain to new moms and new dads especially is that when every interaction you have with your your baby, your infant, when they're awake, is through a device because you're trying to record everything, you are actually doing something that is so detrimental to their brain development. And I'm going to explain it like this. When an infant is little, they are physically helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. So the only thing they have are their senses. And even those aren't fully developed, especially their vision. They don't, they have a localized vision when they're really little, when they're an infant. So they have this localized vision. They have their hearing. They have their ability to taste, smell, and touch. When you put a phone in front of your face, you're blocking off something that's really vital, your eye contact and your facial expressions. And that is, those are two really vital pieces to the emotional development of your child. And what that does is it actually creates a sense of isolation in your infant because they can't mm-hmm. see two of the main components that they need to engage emotionally, your eye contact and your facial expressions. I like to use the metaphor of similarly like putting a prisoner in isolation. 
The reason why mm. that's so psychologically damaging is because when you isolate someone, you cut them off from one of their core human needs, which is social connection. Prison, you know, inmates, that is, that is the punishment. That's the reason why for a prison system to cut them off. But what's worse is when you put them in isolation, now all they have is they can hear things outside the door, but they have no social engagement. They've got no eye contact with another person. They cannot see. They're just a disembodied voice on the other side of the, of the cell. There is enough similarity in that with your infant when you're putting a phone in front of your face. Well, please wow. don't do that. And the other thing is, even if you're like, okay, so I'll hold my phone to the side. Understand that means your attention is being divided. You're, you're like half like this, like this. Oh, 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 oh yes. Da, da, da. It's, not it's not full engagement. Your child needs your, mm. your attention in that moment. And look, infants sleep a lot. So when they're not awake, don't give them your attention. You know, you're going to be doing other things. You know, don't watch them when they're sleeping. I mean, I know it's really adorable, but you won't need to watch them when they're sleeping, you know? And there yeah. are going to be moments then when you set them on the ground and you let them play with their toys that are above them. And then you can also take care of other things. So that's starting to show mm -hmm. them that they need some independent playtime as well. Even if yeah. that means that you're on your phone and you're scrolling and everything. But the point being, don't make your engagement with them be through a device. Okay? Yeah, you know, we were having this discussion with my husband and he said, maybe in the future, we don't know that yet, we will have um, group uh, support groups and we won't say my dad was uh, alcoholic, addicted to alcohol. We would say my dad was addicted to social media. Maybe, be, and, and that is equally the same because he wasn't present. He was um addicted to his phone and i've seen it uh, recently we went to a playground and all of the kids were playing and one parent was constantly on the phone uh putting a video like a, a, a something like it was a skype call or something but still he wasn't there with his kid and i was really frustrated for the kid because i could see in her eyes she was bigger um that she wanted her father to be present at the moment so it's so so important what you're it highlighting is. and look we we don't have something i say to myself i have to tell myself this is please please your own remember not to judge the people around you this may be may well be the only time they actually get to be on their phone because they've been with their kid all day long and they need a little bit of checkout time and so this is actually their opportunity to give their child something to do while they check out uh, that is my hope in the best of environment circumstances. Yeah. I know that's not actually true. I know that the reality is more likely that they've been pretty disengaged, you know, or that they've been working all day and they figure, okay, I'll take my kid to the park, let them be occupied there so that I can be on my phone. So um, I, I have to ask parents, look, I know parenting is difficult. It is. It is not an easy role to play, especially in this day and age. But it is rewarding when you can raise a child because you're raising another human being. And it is a responsibility that means you have an impact on the world. So I think that that is probably the best. The best thing that you can honestly do is give yourself the beauty of the connection between yourself and your children. Because, you know, People always say, oh, the time moves really fast and everything passes quickly and you'll regret it. 
And some parents will tell themselves, look, I, I, I'm starting a business. I'm working really hard. I'm doing all of this stuff. I'll spend time with them when they're older. But understanding that the time you spend with them is vital at every stage, not just when they're older. Because in fact, the earliest years, you know, from like zero to seven are the most formative years that you can actually spend the most time with your kid. And you should do the reverse. You should give yourself the opportunity to say, I'll have time when they're older to give myself this time. I won't get this time back and therefore need to give it to them. And my kid is laughing in the background, so I apologize. Okay, it's okay. I want to thank you so much for this uh, incredible and insightful conversation. I have a lot of people in my circle that um, will definitely listen to this and I keep it in my heart because uh, I think my, my husband will listen to it and say, did you see what Yorana said? That makes absolute sense. Uh, but before we wrap, wrap it up, I wanted to ask you if you have any projects that you're working at the moment and how can people find you or yeah, reach absolutely. you? Absolutely. Um, my, my website is probably the easiest way to reach me or LinkedIn. I tend to answer those messages quickest. So that's my website is footprintscoaching.org. And um, you can just look me up on LinkedIn. And uh, those are like the best ways. I'm also on Instagram, Yorona Boster One. I'm also uh, on Facebook, so you can find me there as well. So there's a variety of different ways. I am working on writing a parenting book right now, which should be out in the spring. And uh, <laughs> there's my little one. <laughs> hey there, Connor. <laughs> It's just a, not one. It is a snow day. It's really important for people to understand that this is the reality of the circumstances, right? We don't get to cut these little ones out just when when we want to, right? Absolutely. You can you can uh, talk about your book with yeah. Connor here. Connor, mommy's writing a book, right? Yeah. So mommy's writing a book about parenting, and um. And that should be out in the spring. I also have two co-author books that are coming out right now. And one of them is called The Gifts of Pain. <laughs> and uh, it's so that's one of my co-author books. And the other one is Cracking the Rich Code. And in that one, I wrote a chapter on the investment every parent needs. Because one of the most important things about that chapter is talking about loss with your kids. Because they need to understand that it's not an if, right? But it's a when, when we're, when we're not here anymore, right? That we always live in each other's hearts forever. But sometimes, but actually all the time, at some point we lose each other. But it's important to keep each other alive in our hearts like you do with Gopka, right? Yeah, we keep Gopka alive and we keep Kitty alive in our hearts. And that's really important to keep those memories alive. Okay. Thank you so much, Yerona, and thank you so much, Connor. Thank you both of you for being part of this podcast. And I'm looking forward to uh, to the episode, and I'm looking forward probably to see you yeah. soon again and have another conversation. I would love that. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Same. Thank yeah, you. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Be good. If you're still here until the end, thank you so much for all your love and your support. If you want to actually show the support, you can rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, follow us on Instagram, and of course, share this episode with a fellow friend or someone who might really be interested and benefit from it. Thank you so much for everything and see you next time. <laughs>